0: Welcome to Shifters Podcast. With me today is none other than the legend, Jake Knapp. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He's ex-Google Venture designer and the brain behind The Sprint, um, and uh, also called Google Sprint, uh, at least here in Norway. And now uh, he's out with a new book called uh, Make Time, How to Focus on What Matters Every Day. So welcome, Jake.
1: Thank you for having me here.
0: I think it 's so cool to be speaking to uh, um, uh, an author and a, and, a, and a person that I have admired from afar <laughs> oh,
1: oh, you 're too kind
0: <laughs> so and uh, today we will talk about uh, productivity and uh, and effectiveness uh, but uh, first i 'd like to hear a little bit about your background so could you please tell us shortly about what you 've been doing the last fifteen years? Well, yeah,
1: I'll try to keep it brief. I'm not, I'm not good at condensing it down, but I'll see what I can manage. I have been working as a designer for most of that time, and I started my career working at Oakley, the sunglasses company, on their website in like 1999, 2000. Then I got a job at Microsoft working on the Encarta Encyclopedia, and oh, really? worked on that. Yeah, yeah. I'm an old time. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. CD. Yeah. CD-ROM. Uh, yeah. Yeah. CD ROMs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> A different world, yeah. cd <laughs> Yeah. So I worked on that for a few years. I worked on some other project at Microsoft, and then in 2007 I started working at Google. I worked on Gmail. I worked on a what was a 20 percent project. I started with a couple of other folks that became Google Hangouts, and now it's Google Meet, and yeah, sort of the only thing left of Google Plus, I think. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, and then I started doing this. Thing called a design sprint. So, this was an idea I had for teams starting new projects, and it's a recipe for a team to work together. Uh, I started doing that, I created that process in 2010 at Google. In 2012, after running about 20 of those uh, inside Google, I went to work at Google Ventures, and I was a design partner at Google Ventures for five years, running design sprints with the startups who we had invested in. So, companies like slack nest uber 23andme and a lot of companies that you know are less well known and then wrote uh, some blog posts about the design sprint process people started doing it and it seemed like it worked so i wrote a book about it called sprint in 2016 and last year i i left google to write more books make time is the first of those
0: yeah. So just uh, just before we leave Google because I'm really interested in this question. Uh the the 20% in Google. Like yeah. You, you can one one day a week you could do whatever you want, right? You can spend 20% of your
1: time working on or you could when I when I was working there, 20% of your time working on whatever project you'd like, provided that you've done 100% of your other work. So Okay. <laughs> the, so, so it's 120%. It an, <laughs> well, that's that was the that was the joke yeah. about it. I think that in practice it was not easy to use your 20% time because the, the, the full time job, the 80% job was, was demanding. And so that was an ongoing challenge, but it's actually a wonderful just having that framing, having the idea that. You could say the reason I'm working on this thing is it's a 20% project, it was a huge deal. When I worked at Microsoft, I wanted to start new projects and I would try to do things on the side, and I was actively discouraged. You know, don't stop doing that thing. You need to be spending. of your effort on this other thing, which is, was really frustrating. You know, when you, when you're excited about something and you're willing to make the extra time to do it, that was pretty frustrating. So I loved it. Google, even though it was hard, I loved that idea of there's a, there's a frame for it. There's a way I can describe this new crazy idea I have. And for me, a lot of good came from that. I worked on a lot of things that went nowhere, but hangouts and the design sprint were 20% projects.
0: So did it, did you actually make? yeah like the 20% that has it actually led to really like is it is it worth it like product wise has it led to good products or is it more of retaining talent so like,
1: oh yeah it's a good question i think it's a really good question i mean gmail was a 20% project originally so it came from somebody's 20% project that's before my time there when i was working on gmail it was it had already launched um and google hangouts as i said the 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 start of that was a 20% project. So those are products that are still around. Gmail's a pretty successful project. I think anybody would say, and maybe they would have happened anyway. You know, I think some of those things are probably inevitable. Multi-way video chat. I'd, I think people would have done that anyway in the browser eventually, but the, it's probably a little bit of both. Primarily, it, it does make you feel like your perspective is valued, your individual different perspective on how things should be done is valued and questioning the norm is valued. There's this, that's a subtle sort of, th- unwritten subtext of 20% time. It says you can question what we're doing already. You can come up with your own opinion and we'll make a little room for that. That's a big deal. You know, that, that requires a lot of confidence for a company to say, we're going to allow you to have freedom. We're not a hundred percent going to top down mandate what you do every minute. So it is powerful. I do think it leads to a better culture of products and sometimes to new products that become successful.
0: Okay so if you were to be the head of uh, a new a big multi-billion dollar company you would actually I would have, quit I would not do no, that no, I don't it, want to do that <laughs> another, in case you were would, okay. would, would you keep yeah. would you keep the would you have the 20% uh, rule or would you not That's it? a
1: that's a great question I think you know there's this there's this quote about dem- democracy and I I can't remember maybe it's Benjamin Franklin or something but it's like Democracy is like the worst form of government, except for every other form that's been tried. Like 20% time is like maybe the worst way to do that, but it's like the best that I've ever heard of. I think that even at Google, they were continually trying to figure out how to make 20% time more effective. And so there's probably a better way to do it. But in the absence of a better way, that's the best way I've seen.
0: Okay, so you would do it. Yeah 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 you can
1: me that. yeah yes <laughs> okay
0: cool <laughs> all right let's get uh, down to business um uh, so um i i've, I've read uh, sprint uh, twice Great. i've been Great. in a couple of sprints myself awesome
1: if you're listening yeah. buy sprint <laughs> yeah it's,
0: it's a very it's a really it's a really good book but um uh, you have to actually apply it otherwise it's, yeah. uh, it's a waste of time <laughs> but uh, <laughs> like every, everything else but yeah. um, um and um, yeah and it's a good way to to check test ideas yeah. uh, in, in a very efficient way uh so um but make time your new book why does the world need that book uh, don't you have enough uh, productivity books already?
1: We have a lot of productivity books, and I think that, I, well, obviously I I'm biased. I think that the world did need this book uh, uh, because I spent a lot of time making it. So the the reason why I, my co-author John and I wrote this book was that we felt that look there are a lot of really good philosophies on time management out there. But the problem is not solved. People still struggle with this. And we thought that we had a a little bit of a unique take on it. And then we had a very unique experience, which was that while working at Google Ventures and doing these design sprints, we had 150 opportunities to take a team out of their normal work routine for a week. And we were in charge of what they did day after day after day. We could control when they use their laptops, when they use their phones. We could control what the schedule was. We could cancel everything. We could reset all of the cultural norms and make our own thing from scratch. And then we were able to, over time, test, you know, make different versions of it and compare what would happen. So that... uh, chance to, to experiment like that with these sort of high-performing teams and learn from the things they did well and see what worked for them is pretty special. And we thought if we could share what we learned and what we started to learn things that we applied to our everyday life from that experience, we thought that was pretty special. I think the other thing is that a lot of the talk about, you know, the words that we use, productivity, efficiency, that's the way that we should describe a factory or an assembly line. It's productive. It's making a lot of widgets, you know, or it's efficient. We're not wasting any watt of electricity or any second of time. The the assembly line keeps cranking. The stuff keeps coming out. But I think that as humans, we should aspire for more than that. We should aspire instead of productivity. I think we should try to be purposeful and try to have a Maybe we're doing fewer things, but we're doing them better. And instead of being efficient, we should try to be effective. And I think that that shift, I don't know that there are a lot of books. So what's the
0: difference between efficient and effective?
1: Yeah, so if you're efficient, you are getting a lot done. And I think that maybe we all know that feeling of, gosh, I feel efficient today. I feel productive. I'm getting a lot done. You can be efficient looking at a lot of emails or responding to a lot of emails or going to a lot of meetings in a day, you can have a very efficient jam packed Tetris full day and not do the thing that was the most important to accomplish. That's very easy to do. That has happened. That happened to me many, many, many days every day. Actually, it's a struggle. I think for us to not fall into the trap of efficiency and productivity, which sort of feels right, but isn't often about what actually counts. So make time is about, finding the thing that counts each day. So that's effective, right? That's Have,
0: having an effect.
1: Yeah, having an effect. Yeah, right. And and purposeful, it's about having a purpose f- to what you do. And the other part about make time that's different is that John and I are designers. We've designed software for a, a long time. While I was working on Gmail, John was working on YouTube and uh, we see the world through the lens of how can we make this thing that we're working on right now as easy for the customer to use as possible? How can we make it fit into their lives? So many of the productivity books that I've read, they propose a system. They propose something that's perfect that I have to follow a perfect model. And maybe the perfect model works when I'm doing it. But if I slip at all, if I fall off the wagon, then I feel guilty. Then if they're fragile. And so we wanted to create something that would be durable, that would work for different people. They'd be realistic about the differences between me and John, the differences between me and you. We're all different. We need a way to find something that works for us. We need something that's useful and usable and well-designed so we wanted to make make time approachable and lower stress than everything else a realistic reflection of the world that we live in yeah
0: so is is it more like uh i i've i read the book more of a work-life balance or like uh being happy being happy yeah (laughs) More more than like being efficient
1: absolutely and i i think it's more it is more about our lives themselves rather than our attempt to achieve or crank out as much work as possible. We're hoping to help people think about moments that they have each day. And so one of, so one of the core ideas in make time, and I think it sums up what you're describing is that we propose that each day in the morning, you should Look ahead at your day. Imagine the day is over. It's the end of the day, and you're looking back. What would you like the highlight of the day to be? What would you like to be the moment that you remember? And it could be something from work, something that you already have to do, something that's urgent. But sometimes doing that thing that's really important, that's satisfying, and not getting stuck on the email treadmill all day, sometimes that's really satisfying, and that's the highlight. Or it could be something that is really important to you, and maybe it's at work, but it's not urgent. Nobody's asking for it, but you know if you could make a little progress on it, you'd be much better off. You'd be really satisfied at the end of the day. So maybe that's that's what it is. Or maybe it's about joy. Maybe it's I want to... Really be present and paying attention when I'm with my kids or when I have dinner at home tonight or when I have lunch with a friend. Maybe it's that moment that I want to enjoy. But whatever it is, the whole day changes when I start off and I know that's where I want to have my peak focus. I want to make sure I protect that time and I protect my attention during that time. I'm not checking my phone. I'm not churning through to-do lists i'm actually present for that moment and so yeah that is really what the essence of make time is crafting moments
0: yeah so the highlight concept it's uh you have like four steps in the book right so highlight is the like the first step yeah and uh, i had some difficulties with the like defining defining it and and you discuss it a lot in the book actually as well what is the highlight yeah Uh, and is it is it like if i do this i'm if i if i would do only this thing today i can be satisfied with my day is is it is that what you're trying to communicate or because i'm i'm struggling with like when you know when you're mixing it like the the private you know uh your private sphere yeah. with yeah. work sphere and having you know choosing one highlight of the day yeah. how do you actually choose the highlights i use there's it it's
1: it's sort of hard, but I'll also say if you even start to think about this idea, and now if you're listening to this right now and you, you even are starting to think about it, you're already doing it right because I think that the the difference is in having intention with our day. And even if that intention, even if you're not sure whether exactly today should be about work or it should be about something you do at home or if you decide I want to have two highlights today and you don't have to, maybe, but maybe you feel that for you that's what works, Really, it's just about starting to shift the balance from what is everyone demanding of me? What is expected of me today? That's what culture wants us to do. It wants us to fulfill our role as a cog in the machine. This is about turning it around and saying, what do I want from today? Sometimes it will be a very practical thing about work. Sometimes it will be about an aspiration, a hobby, but once you start asking the question don't worry about doing it right or wrong that starts I think a chain reaction of becoming more and more and more attentional and more aware of when this happens during the day at the end of the day I feel better I enjoy it more I remember more about the day and that's what we're trying to go for
0: it was about claiming that power yeah right? claiming that power yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and uh, yeah, it's, a, it's a bit uh, similar to the 20% rule in Google actually <laughs> it is it is you can see the things I like yeah. I like to take the power back <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. okay and um uh, but why yeah you, you weren't but uh, but how how would you like pick a highlight well what was your strategy because you have a lot of right. strategy in the books uh, tactics in the books yeah but how do you
1: yeah so this is uh, i'll call these tactics a, a booster rocket for learning how to set your your highlights choose your highlight Um, when I'll explain that in a second, but the, the, the starter tactics, the way to get going on this, I think is to think about satisfaction or urgency or joy. And often there's one thing, if you just kind of check through what would make me the most satisfied today, that would be maybe the thing that I know is important, that I might, there's a chance I won't get to it. There's a chance I'll put it off, but I really will feel very satisfied if I do that thing because I know in my heart that it's important. So that's satisfaction. So what would make me most satisfied today? And, uh, and then urgency is like, Oh man, there's something I have to do. Maybe it's not even pleasant, but you, we all know there's a good feeling in getting that urgent thing that's really pressing done. And this acknowledges that we don't always have control over our time. We don't always have control. Sometimes something that is truly urgent comes up and we must deal with it. I can remember a day when I saw a rat in our house and I was like, wow, whatever else I had in mind to do, I need to get the rat out of the house. That is the most urgent thing to do today. I won't sleep well unless the rat is gone. There are things like that in work and in life. And then the third thing is about joy. So is there something that really make me feel like, uh, I was I was more alive today. So in the beginning, I think thinking about those three things and being a bit sort of mechanical even and thinking, okay, urgency, satisfaction, joy. Do I have one of those? Which one seems the strongest? Is there something that hits more than one? Great. That's the highlight. Over time, what happens is our minds create this connection between what we intend at the beginning of the day and how we feel at the end of the day and also how we feel in the moment. That's really the the most important part is how do you feel in the moment when you're doing that thing? Are you paying attention to it? It's enjoyable. Are you getting something out of it are you in what we call laser mode? And so I think that it, it starts off hard because it's an unnatural thing actually to set our own intention. And it's easier to just react to what people are asking of, uh, asking us for. But when you start to set that intention, I think this, this, ability grows and it becomes easy to choose a highlight
0: okay and um so um uh, yeah you mentioned laser that's the next laser thing. yeah so what is laser
1: laser is when you are paying attention to the moment You're why
0: like- did not you call it focus what do you call it laser well
1: focus is i guess it's something we all understand but I wanted to make it a little more intense feeling like I wanted to feel like the burn of a laser. <laughs> yeah. And I think that maybe we all know the difference between I'm working on this thing right now or I'm doing this activity right now and I'm locked on when I'm locked on. It's different, right? This is the idea of flow, so, right? This is a, um, has been a lot of study, I, I don't know if I can pronounce the guy's name, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, I think. And he wrote this book about flow, and this concept is really powerful. When we're in the flow doing something, when we are locked in, we do our best work, we experience life in the most rich way. And we can have that sense of being locked in, whether we're doing something, uh, a job we have to do, or whether we're doing something that's just you know, purely enjoyable or whatever it is like we can, we can lock in. I think we know the difference between that and just, uh, this is the focal point or this is the thing that's on screen for me right now. So that's why it's laser mode. It's kind of taking it up to the next level. And we had seen for so many years in our design sprints that when you have 15 minutes, or 30 minutes in a meeting, you don't get locked in. You're not in laser mode when you are flipping through apps on the screen, whatever. Like We're not really locked in. We're so often just bouncing. But in a sprint, when we would get people to shut their laptops, put their phones away, and actually work on one challenge for an hour and a half at a time, two hours a day at a time, then you get this locked in. You The results are, it's an exponential increase in the quality of what happens. So we wanted more. We want more than focus. We want uh, to be 100% locked in. And The thing about laser mode is maybe what I'm describing sounds like a lot of work, you know, to to focus. We know it's like it takes energy to focus. But when you know what you're excited about, when the highlight is something that motivates you, then it becomes easier to get into laser mode because you know what you want to do. It's not yeah, sort of amorphous.
0: How do you get into laser mode? Like
1: how do you get into flow? There's a lot of tactics in the book for this. And I'll give you some of the tactics I use when I'm getting into laser mode. So let's say I'm going to work on writing. Writing is, for me, one of the hardest things I can do because I'm staring at a blank screen or a blank page. Sometimes I'll write on paper. And I have to write something that I know. I know from writing blog posts and books that most of what I write I'll throw away. So the chances that I'll write something right now, or even today that'll even make it into the finished product are pretty low. It's a low percentage that actually gets through. So I got to write something that I'll probably throw away and it takes so much mental work. Boy, it would be a lot easier if I could just quickly, you know, if I check my email, then I might be able to answer somebody's question. I might be able to tick off a little task. It'll give me a little sense of satisfaction. The email inbox is really calling to me when I want to write. So should be hard work to get into laser mode but if at the beginning of the day i've imagined man if at the end of the day i had written 1500 words on this science fiction book like that would feel pretty good i would feel like i i did what was important to me So now I've identified what's important. Now I want that feeling at the end of the day. I'm motivated. So that's a big deal. Then the other thing is, if I sit down to the computer, sit down to write, and I've shut off my internet access, which is something I literally do. And there's tactics in the books about how to time so you can shut off your internet access when you want to be in laser mode. Well, now it's really hard to check my email. I have to go and, like, change some settings. I have to work on my router. I have to get the internet back on. That's going to be a pain. I guess maybe. I And I know how I want to feel at the end of the day. Now all of a sudden the pulls, it's like the gravitational forces. I've lowered the gravitational force of email and I've raised the gravitational force of what I care about. So that's a big tactic. Then there's little things like I will play the exact same song when I start writing a particular kind of thing. So if I'm writing on – when I was writing make time, I would play the same Metallica, Master of Puppets. (laughs) I would do the same thing every time when I got started. And when I heard those two songs, the only time I played that, when I heard those songs start, I was like, okay, everything in my brain knew this is the time when you start writing. A couple songs in, I might already be in the flow. I might already be locked in. So, that's
0: yeah. for me, but
1: it would be different for every person.
0: Uh, did you mention Michael Jackson as well in the book? Michael Jackson, yep, yeah. yeah, yeah. that's uh, Billie jean that's a workout that yeah. I really like Billy yeah. Jean yeah. and
1: uh beat it and it's at the trigger yeah. it's a trigger that's the yeah. trigger right yeah. so that's u- utilizing some of that the research around habits and i won't claim to be an expert on that but there's really great books about that that, that i've read that'll you know talk about this loop and creating the loop so yeah you can you Power can habit. you engineer that stuff right you just figure out what do i want to do okay i'll start giving myself a trigger that that helps me do that more easily in the future
0: that's Charles Durig, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a great book. That's great a book. fun read, Power yep. of Habit. Yeah,
0: it's a good book. Um, okay. So you, have the, you know what you want to do with the highlight. Yeah. Are you in laser focus? Yes. What's, what's next?
1: Okay. Well, next in the order of the book is energize. But really, you have to energize throughout the day. And part of the reason why we say laser mode, part of it is to talk about locking in. Part of it is because I think it's helpful to have this analogy of of a laser beam, right? And yeah. so you have it's laser more beam, It's agree. more powerful, I agree. It's more powerful. And you also need energy for, to run the laser, right? Yeah. The electricity has to come from somewhere. And we're like that. Humans are like that. We need the electricity and the power. So we've got brains and bodies. We're not just our brains. We also have bodies. And we have to take care of our bodies in order to be able to get into laser mode. So... Energizing is all about making some small shifts to sometimes step away from the. There's some things in the modern world that s- sap our energy. They rob us of energy. So
0: what are the three things you can do to, to feel energized?
1: Sure. One of the things is to just get a little bit of exercise each day and this is like the most boring sounding advice in the world because everybody knows that we should get more regular exercise everybody knows that that's the least controversial most commonly given advice in the world the problem is that most of the way we talk about advice at least in the united states where i live is pretty intense it's always about ratcheting it up and doing more and more and more and more and more and people who exercise like crazy are very visible to us because they advertise what they do. In the United States, the people put on the back of their car these stickers to talk about how long the runs are that they go on, right? The marathon stickers (laughs) or the ultra marathon stickers. We see a lot of those. We see a lot of you know magazines with pictures of people with like, they don't just have six pack abs. They have like 20 pack abs. It's (laughs) insane. And it's like the expectation is if you're working out, if you're not training for something, if you're not always ratcheting it up, if you're not doing something super intense, if you're not microdosing and you know, then you're not doing it right. But that's not what we need. We just need to get outside. We just need to move our bodies a little bit. So part of the tactics are about finding small ways to get exercise and to lower the expectations of ourselves that regular exercise gives us the benefit we need. It's it what's, what's the us.
0: least you can get get away with for me,
1: the you know, okay, so I like to go for 20 minutes of exercise, whether that's running or walking. And if it's more than that, often it'd turn into more than that, and that's great. But I'll, I'll tell, also allow myself to say, Hey, but if I get, if I'm not feeling well, or if I don't have time, but if I can just get out for five minutes or 10 minutes, I'll still get a benefit. And I know that's true. I know I still will get a benefit. And I know that sometimes having that lower threshold for myself means I won't beat myself up. I won't wait for the perfect three-hour workout. I'll say, okay, I'll go outside. And then I stay outside because it felt good. I'll get a little bit more. So... I would say get outside for five minutes and you'll get a benefit. Maybe it turns into 10. If you get to 20, you start to hit some of these thresholds where we really get a boost to our cognitive function. They've done a lot of studies about cognitive function, energy level that you get at 15 to 20 minutes, mood boosts and things. But five is good.
0: So, 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 uh, getting exercise. That, yeah. I that's talked one. a lot about that. that. Uh, yeah. Try to make but the it, other it, ones it's faster. Important. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, uh, I, I, I reckon that uh, also what you put in your mouth is important.
1: What you put in your mouth is important. And I think that. Well, a couple things that affect us a lot, that again, we all know about, but it's sugar and caffeine. These are things that have a profound effect on our energy and most of us consume sugar and or caffeine. I was learning about how much coffee people drink in Norway. It's really astonishing, but it's good. It's good coffee, but, <laughs> but, but coffee is a, is a huge effect. Caffeine, a huge effect on our energy level. So one of the things we talk about in make time, we sought out this guy who's kind of an expert on coffee and has done a lot. Of uh, sort of experiments himself on caffeine and told us about, like, look, here's the way caffeine works, here's what most people don't know. And so little things like it can be counterproductive to drink coffee right when you wake up, to have caffeine when you wake up. Because when we wake up, our body naturally produces cortisol, which will wake up the body anyway. So a lot of times when we have caffeine first thing in the morning, we think we're waking ourselves up. We're actually just reproducing something the body would already be doing. And we're creating that dependency for early in the morning. It doesn't do us a lot of good. On the other hand, caffeine right before you're about to get tired, if you can start to figure out times when you'd get tired anyway and have caffeine 30 minutes before that gives the caffeine enough time to act. If you wait until you're tired, it's too late. So a lot of us wait until we're tired to have caffeine. We end up having more than we need. And also many, many people who struggle with sleep, it's because they're having caffeine too late in the day. And it's an obvious thing that people are maybe sort of consciously aware of, but haven't actually put into practice. If you experiment with bringing back your last cup of coffee or tea or whatever it is half an hour earlier half an hour earlier half an hour earlier you may find that your sleep gets a lot better so a lot of little things we can tweak that make a huge difference
0: so ca- no no ca- caffeine uh, right when you're wake up like uh, you should have I think it's an experiment worth trying uh, uh, experiment wh- what are you doing trying.
1: I will normally try to make it until 9 30 to okay. have the first the first cup of coffee so your mileage may vary everyone's going to be different but when you start to experiment with caffeine really thinking about the the timing and, and noting the effect it has on your energy then you're in control a lot of times our defaults are in control of us so it's just a matter of getting in control
0: what about what you eat yeah, that's... Like pro high protein, high carb, carbohydrate? We don't get really into no, okay. that. And, you know, the, what do you, the research what, what on that do you, is... What do you eat? Well, do you what I think eat? is
1: important is eating real food. Yeah. So we do talk about this in the book. And this is also advice that's around there. But, again, it's about making that connection between when I have this food, do I have energy afterwards? One trick that I like, and we uh, I call this Central Park, your plate. So in New York City, Central Park is a big part of Manhattan that they... Very early in the city's development, decided it was going to be a park. And once they made it a park, then they built buildings around it. There are tall buildings all around it, but it's still a park. It's so hard to make that decision up front. But then once you make it, you set it, it makes it easy. And now it's a wonderful asset to the city. You can do the same thing with your plate. So, you you know, getting food, you serve salad first in the middle of the plate. The other stuff has to, it only has a limited amount of room now for the other things. And often just eating a little bit less food, a little bit lighter food, will give more energy afterwards. Especially at lunch. That's a big, you know, like the, the heavy lunch that makes us tired in the afternoon. So, sometimes uh, just the way you design your plate can have a difference.
0: Yeah, cool. Uh, so, now uh, you're energized, you have a highlight, and you uh, are having a laser focus. So, but you have a last point: reflect. Reflect. And that's about making things better.
1: That's about making things better. That's about science. So, and not science in the sense of a study of a thousand university students, you know, it's just about personal science because we all know some of these things we maybe think we ought to be doing. We've read these studies that people talk about, but. They don't matter because they're not us. They're they're numbers. They're statistics. What really matters is when you experience it for yourself, then it becomes more convincing. And so what we're encouraging people to do is to start to draw these connections between, oh, when I do this, I feel this way. When I am focused it gives me this result and so we'll ask people to when they're starting off with make time just take some notes at the end of the day we have like a little it's a very simple form that you can kind of check some some circles on and actually we haven't we, we're making an app for it so it'll be even easier to do and the idea is just to start to draw those connections between which tactics are working which tactics aren't working and to get people in this mindset that we were in as we were developing the design sprint of how can we improve this? How can we find what fits? And so that way, instead of just reacting to what the world offers us, we're putting ourselves back in control. To stay on that theme,
0: <laughs> and this is what separates this book from uh, all the other books. I think it's, so. It's uh, it's about it's it's a you can personalize it in a way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And. And honestly, it's something that's very different from Sprint. So if people have read Sprint or heard about the design Sprint, the, personalization there. the power of the design yeah. Sprint is it, in its lack of personalization. It, yeah. It's prescriptive. This checklist will yield you results. And I think for comparable philosophies for building products, that was different. And we said, you should do exactly this and it'll help you. Other people have said, here's the philosophy and figure it out for yourself. That's with make time it's the reverse of that we think other people have been more prescriptive about what you should do but that leads often to guilt or things that don't fit a particular
0: individual but what if you actually added reflect to the, the design sprint
1: well in a way that's a, that's what we do because at the end of each design sprint we're reflecting on the product itself. So <laughs> the sprint yeah. ends with a test. We look at what happened in the test and we see what happened in the product.
0: The reflection. So, um, I mean, like on, on, the, on, process. The, yes, yeah, on the process. Yes. The process. Yeah. yeah. Of, uh, because it's it's a prescriptive, like you said. Right. But could you like make it? Uh, oh, e- yeah. yeah like,
1: wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, that is effectively that's what we used to do at Google Ventures, because after each sprint, we would huddle up and say, OK, when we go to work with the next startup, like what should we do? What, what worked? What didn't work? Yeah, we could ask teams to do that because themselves. I,
0: I think it's uh, a lot to do with um, uh, the, the the facilitators. They yeah. need they need to find the the process that works for them, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, you know, so they need to find out what to emphasize and what not. What are they good at? What are they not? So, especially within really, a context, if yeah, you're doing it inside
1: a company, yeah. you have a particular culture. You have a way that you develop products. And I always tell people, do the first two by the book because. The recipe in the book, I promise I've had more chance to experiment with that than you will the first time. But once you've run it a couple times, yeah, you'll see places to modify it. You're right, though. It's not a step in the sprint. It probably
0: should be. But you're right, too. You have to know the rules to break them, right? That's right. That's right. So, um, uh, And um, uh, we're closing up this interview. uh, But this this book, uh, is this book a symptom on the growing uprising against the attention economy? you know know, the habit forming products and fixation on screens and are we like losing a bit of a bit of our own humanity in in our today's society that this book like is a symptom of uh trying to solve in some sort of way
1: yeah a lot of people are talking about this problem and i'm really glad that they are because there are things that are just out of whack with the way we Spend our time and how much control screens have over our, over our lives. But what is missing, I think, in the conversation about screens and distraction and atten- the attention economy is what we can do ourselves. And so I've worked inside tech, a lot of tech companies. I've worked with a lot of tech companies. And in my experience, so there's this narrative that the tech companies are Manipulating us or like hijacking our brains.
0: But they are, right? Well,
1: the, but there's a, that's a job. But, the, but right, but describing it in that way is very headline worthy. It grabs a lot of people's attention. Yeah. It, it's, it's, I mean, they're trying provoking. to make money. They're trying it's to make provoking. money out of your. They are. But right? look, when you blame, when we only blame the tech companies, there's a problem with that. So I, look, like, so, so first of all, yes, you're a hundred percent right. The tech companies, they're making money off of this. Their interest is to, have their products be valuable. Their products are valuable when we spend time with them. So, so that's important. And I'm going to come back to that. When we say, when the only message that we talk about in the press, when the only conversations we have are, it's their fault, then we're also giving them all the power. We're saying it's their fault. So they have to fix it for us. So what have they done? This has been a big story for what a year, year, two years. People have been talking about this a lot, blaming the tech companies a lot. So what are the proposed solutions? Well, maybe they'll do something about it. Maybe we should regulate them. So what happens? They've started to acknowledge it basically, right? Like Facebook, Apple, Google, they've all come out with features to help us control our attention. I just got iOS 12 on my phone. It's got screen time on it. It tells me how long I'm spending on my phone. All of these products have basically copied the Moment app. They give you a chart showing you how long you're spending on each thing and then if you want they will remind you when you've you know you can set a timer that'll remind you the common element there is guilt they will try to make you feel guilty about using their product and it's that's a step in the right direction they're acknowledging there's a problem they're trying to do something to solve it but it's not a great solution we're all probably feel guilty already and making us feel more guilty is just like poking us with a stick like i think (laughs) what's gonna my expectation is that Most people are not going to change their behavior because of those products. They're probably going to turn off some of those features. And the challenge is when you put all of the blame on the tech companies, then you got to wait for them to solve the problem and they're never going to want to solve the problem. Their interest, even if they even, and look, I've been inside these tech companies. People are well-meaning. They are well-meaning. They're not, they're not laughing evilly and, you know, plotting (laughs) against us. They're not, but they. They can't help it. The money comes in when they sell the phones. The money comes in when you, when you go through the, the news feed, when you're spending time in the stream. They can't help it. The interests are going to lead them to not give us the best solution. So we have to solve it ourselves. And that's what's missing. People aren't talking about what are, the th- yeah. what are the techniques I, I we can use. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I'm just
0: saying that um, the, the first, the first narrative is not wrong but uh, the the second narrative is missing. It's what what, what can you do yourself? And it's actually your responsibility. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I think that that will come. I mean, I think it was really a lot of hard work for people to get that story out there in the first place that, hey, the tech companies don't always have your best interest at heart. And hey, this is a big problem here. People have done a lot of good work to get that story out there. We just have to be careful we don't say, okay, good, now they know. Now I'm sure they'll take care of it. They won't take care of it. And while they haven't taken care of it, our lives are going by. We're losing time in our lives because it blurs by. We can't pay attention to what we care about each day.
0: I totally agree, and I actually think that uh, this book should be in school, or at least the principles behind the book. You know, because um, the schools they weren't created when we had these big tech companies right. fighting for That's attention, right. right? Yeah. So now we have yeah. a different society, yeah. when, and we need to equip our children with those type of skills to you know right. to to be able to to uh, to resist and fight back.
1: Well, I think you summarized it in a nice way. But I hope that's what people will take away from Make Time—that it's a useful mindset or uh, an easy-to-use framework that you can use to to take control yourself, to to make some decisions yourself about what works for you. Because that is what I feel has been missing—is a, a way to re-examine the default settings of the world and decide. Am I happy with these? Am I content with the way the world is offering me to live my life and suck away my time? Or do I want to take that time back and put it on what I care about, put my attention where it matters?
0: Yeah. Uh, have you read the book Essentialism? Uh,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. So
0: I feel that there's just a lot of uh, similarities with, yeah. uh, like, in, in the mindset yeah. with your book. Yeah. But what, what is your favorite book?
1: Ooh, my favorite book is probably going to be a Novel? Harry, Potter. Harry yeah, Potter, but I don't know if that's really what you were going for. Do you want a favorite, like kind of in yeah. this genre?
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, Like, uh, uh yeah. In the- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> my favorite book in this genre is the happiness project. Uh, I'm going to give you two. So the happiness project really kind of started me on this idea of experiments in my life and the happiness project. I would say the, the central principle of it is that, look, we do all these things whether it's productivity or efficiency, whatever we're trying to do in our lives, usually because we think, if I do this, then I will be happy. And if I do that, then I will be happy. The happiness project, the precept is, what if you just said, I'm just going to be happy. So what are the things <laughs> that make us yeah. happy? And not in just a hedonistic sort of like, um, but like really like which activities, which behavior, what things make us happy? And um, the author, Gretchen Rubin, she spent a year experimenting herself based on different studies and also sort of historical wisdom on these things and figured out what worked for her and that boy to me that was like wow i should be starting to reconsider re-examine things run experiments so happiness project is a great one the other one i love and this is a new book ish new i think came out last year it's called the power of moments it's by chip and dan heath and whether you're thinking about it for yourself or if you think about it for a business the principle in that book is That we experience products and life as moments and what we remember are moments. It's not the whole. We remember moments. So if you're crafting a product, you should think about how to craft these great moments for your customer. And if you're living a life, you should think about how to craft those great moments for yourself or for the people you care about. And I think that's a powerful idea as well.
0: Yeah, it made me think about The Power of Now. I don't know if you know that book. But yeah, I Eckhart do. Told yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, and those guys, they wrote The Switch, right?
1: Or yeah, Switch, yeah. Uh, Made to Stick, which is another yeah. amazing one, Decisive. A lot of ideas from Switch and Decisive in the Sprint process, actually. I've been inspired by those guys for a long time. Yeah, I, I, me too. Uh, Chip and Dan Heath, look them up, <laughs> read everything they write. <laughs> so,
0: uh, the last question, Jake. Uh, what do you consider to be uh, truth, but that most people will disagree with you on?
1: Oh yeah, that's right. Before the podcast started, you warned me that this question was coming and I don't think I thought about it enough, so I'll have to I'll have to wing it. I think that it's true that most of the things that society expects us to do in our careers and in our lives are not what we would actually choose if we had the chance to look at what's going on. So, I'll just say that the the um, the things that we're offered and told will will make us satisfied with life, the career advancement, the the money, the followers online, whatever it is. Those things are usually poisonous, and we're always going to be well served to um, make our own. Decisions about what what actually makes our life worth
0: living. I totally agree, and it's not like when you. No, no, now you, you you ruined it because it's supposed to be no one agrees with. No, you. no, <laughs> you, yeah, but it's uh, it's hard. <laughs> yes. It's a tough one. It's yeah, a tough one to come ver- up with something that you really hard. believe that no one will agree with. Yeah, and, and then, because I was thinking it's not like when you're like on your dying, you know, on your deathbed, yeah. you're dying. It's not like you're saying, "Oh, I should have worked a little bit more." <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. So that's you know that's yeah. that's what I think about. What would I? What would I want to say that I did? Yeah, when I'm like, yeah, that's that's the important things, right? Yeah,
1: and I think to me, you know, one thing that and this is a uh, this is hard to do. It's not, like I can say it and it sounds easy, but it's hard to do this. It's very hard to actually identify what matters to you and then pour yourself into it. Go all in on doing it. I feel like I've been trying to do that for maybe about the last 10 years of my career, trying to figure out what do I most care about and how can I more and more put my heart into it? Because we, this is one of the things that society kind of conditions us to do. Perhaps, you know, nobody's intentionally doing this, but it conditions us to protect ourselves, to be risk averse, to not go all in, to treat work as a separate thing from our lives. And it's hard to figure out what do I really care about and how do I just like be myself and pour myself into that? And you see that the, that, when you start to unlock it, starts to make your whole life something that, that matters, not just those moments in between when work is over, or when you're on vacation or whatever. It should all count.
0: Jake Knapp, it has been a real pleasure, even more of a big pleasure than I could have imagined. Before. <laughs> so thank you very much for taking the time to um, to share your insights with our uh, listeners. Thank you for having me
1: in here. We're in, nobody knows or listening, but we're in a funny place right now. We're in sort of the lobby of a, of yes. a it's <laughs> <called> <laughs> conference hall.
0: Yes, actually, yeah. I'm glad you remind me. We're in Ushlu Spectrum, which yeah. is a big uh, hall, um, and this is the Webdagena uh, by NetLife Research. And so, if
1: anybody has heard, if it's if we sound echoey or yeah. anything like that, it's because we are uh, we're we're in a real place.
0: <laughs> yes, we're in a real place, and uh, yeah, I'm not the best type of uh, <laughs> place to record
1: no, this. It's not, a, it's not a soundproof booth,
0: <laughs> but uh, I I managed to hear what you had to say, Jake, and I'm uh, I'm really satisfied. So this is this was one my highlight today. Thank you very well, much.
1: Same here. Thanks so much, Rabbit.